Well, this evening we're going to be taking a look at uh, history from a, from a certain angle, from a Bible angle. Like I said, we're looking at uh, Daniel 5. So if we can have our Daniel 5 uh, readers up front. The writing on the wall. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank wine... They praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have gold chains placed around their neck and he will be made the third, third highest ruler of the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified And his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed, don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners. This man Daniel, whom the king, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a king, keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have the insight intelligence and outstanding wisdom the wise men and encounters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it meant but they could not explain it now I have heard that you are able to to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems if you can read this writing and tell me what it means you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourselves and give your awards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God, give your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. 
But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor God. Behold, in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tackle Parson. This is what these words mean. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So uh, we're in the series on Daniel. We've done the first uh, four chapters, and uh, we come to chapter 5, which is uh, quite a well-known passage. So uh, tonight we're talking about uh, the writings on the wall from, uh, from Daniel 5. So who of us here, yeah, and you be honest, would describe yourself as a control freak? Come on, be honest. Are you a control freak? Put up your hand. Okay, yeah, we probably get a better response. Who of you guys are married to a control freak? <laughs> oh, goodness me. Some of you guys are putting your hands and your feet up. See, I think many of us are control freaks. I need to put my hand up as well. It is because we feel more comfortable when we're in control. Uh, when we're out of control, we feel weak and vulnerable. So we don't easily hand control of our lives over to somebody else. We guard the steering wheel jealously. And when we do hand over the steering wheel, we make sure that our foot is near the brake pedal. And tonight we'll be seeing from Daniel 5 that um, God is in control, that God is the history writer. We're going to see how that affects us and history personally. So with God as the history writer in control of history, we're going to see that history repeats itself. And we're going to see that the writing is on the wall, that the action is done, and that we ourselves need to be participants in history. Something has to be done, and that's us. So that gives us an idea of navigating where we're going to be going. 
For the rest of the evening, we're going to change the screen at the back. And um, Amy is uh, sitting at the back, and she's going to be drawing a picture for each point to help us understand um, what's coming and to help us um, remember what's happening. So if we can change to the, to the other screen, the camera. It's there really. Oh, sorry, David. I can't see it over there. I can't watch you draw, Amy. No, man. Well, good. Well, let's pray, and, um, and then we'll get stuck into, into the passage. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us and that you want to have a relationship with us. Lord, won't you help us to understand your word? that will make sense to us, that will have meaning not only to our minds but to our hearts also. And Lord, won't we leave here this evening understanding more of your love for us. Amen. Okay. So the first point is that God is the history writer. And by that I mean God is in control. At uh, RERA and IMPACT this last week we've been looking at um, Ruth chapter 1. And we've just seen how God has been in control every single step of the way in this first chapter of Ruth. We see that God is in control over Naomi as a fa- and her family, as well as the nation of Israel. We see then that it's God that brings the famine. It's God that ends the famine. We see that it is God who is the one that punishes Naomi. And later in Ruth, we see that it is God who brings Ruth and Boaz together. And we see God as he continues his kingly line through Ruth to its completion in Jesus. It is God who shapes and writes history. There are no mistakes and there are no surprises for God. All happens according to his great plan. At creation on the last day, God declares, it is good, and God is giving it his stamp of approval. He's saying creation is according to his design. It is according to his plan as he wanted. In Daniel 5, Daniel tells King Belshazzar that it is God, the most high God, who gave his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, his power and kingship. Take a look at verse 18. O king, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. It's the Most High God is the one who who is responsible for later punishing Nebuchadnezzar at the height of his rebellion. Take a look at verse 20. But when Nebuchadnezzar's heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, God deposed him from his royal throne and stripped him of his glory. Daniel saying, God is in control. He put Nebuchadnezzar there. God gave him the power. God took that power away from him. Daniel also tells uh, Belshazzar that it's the most high God that rules over the nations. The last bit of verse 21. The most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes So not only is God in control over who's ruling Babylon, God is in control over everyone there is. I must confess I don't know much about um, British politics. I know something along the line that there's two brothers and I think they're on different parties and they're having a go at each other or something. Is that right? Two brothers somewhere? Same party, two brothers, okay. So 
from this passage, we see that it's God who raised them and others to, do our, to be our political leaders. It is God who put them. God is the ruler of England, not the queen and not the politicians. The Most High God has put them there and the implications are clear. Take a look, or I'll just read it to you in Romans um, chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. God has written history. It's not a process that he's going through and still writing history. In Ephesians 1, we see that history is written. God has chosen before creation. There's no small changes, little commas changed to move here, this done that, little variances that he allows. But God is the history writer. He's in control and it's being done. The end is planned. God has written it. So not only does God have the whole world in his hands, which means we can take heart because he's holding us. It also means that the timeline of all creation is in God's hands. That should be of huge encouragement to us to know that your life is not an accident. Your life has been thoughtfully planned. All the hard times, heartaches, tough decisions, illness, death, it's not an accident but a planned event. That is a great implication that your troubles have a meaning. They're not things that happen in a vacuum. They have a purpose. God is in control. Why does God let bad things happen? That's for, a, for another time. But we need to know from tonight that God is in control out of all of those things. It won't always make sense. But we must be faithful. Trust God that He, the Most High God, has written history for his glory and ultimately for our benefit. Brings us to our next point. History repeats itself. So because God is in control, we see these three things. And the first one is history repeats itself. Now there's lots of quotes about history, especially about it repeating itself. History repeats itself because we never learn from history. The study of history is the best guarantee of not repeating it. And those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. My favorite one, the most important thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. So then we come to Daniel 5. And at the time of Daniel 5, the Babylonian kingdom is coming to an end. The Medes and the Persians are moving in on the capital and they're soon going to overthrow Belshazzar and his politicians. We know from sources outside of the Bible that um, Nebuchadnezzar has basically gone AWOL. We don't know what happened to him. He's not around anymore. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened, excepting that the end of chapter 4 in Daniel... ends with these great words. 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. It appears from outside the Bible that Nebuchadnezzar knew the end was near. So he puts his grandson in position, puts him in power, and he goes off. Um, and we don't hear or see from him again. And then we see when the queen comes to speak to, to, um, to Belshazzar and his noblemen, it's probably his queen mother. And when she comes to him, there's a note of sarcasm in her voice when she says, Oh, king, uh, live forever. She's kind of saying, Well, you're not really the king. And later on, when um, Belshazzar talks to Daniel, the reason he can make Daniel third in command is because Belshazzar himself is actually just the deputy standing in the place of Nebuchadnezzar um, at the time. And the queen is giving him a hard time, kind of nudging him in the, shoulder, in the, in the ribs, you know, oh, you think you're so great. You're just the temp. The old king, Nebuchadnezzar, He's a follower of God. He's no longer ruling. The new guy, his grandson, is a bit of a show-off rebel. He's intent on forgetting Nebuchadnezzar's ways and his beliefs and says, it's all about me. So this destruction of um, Babylon is imminent. He throws this huge party for all the VIPs in the area. He shows off even more. He shows off his decadence and wealth by bringing out the goblet stolen from the Israelite temple. He knew what he was doing. He knew who God was. He knew uh, what his grandfather had said about God. He knew that he was insulting the Most High God. He was forgetting the old way and ignoring it. He's saying, look at me. My new way is better. Look how good I am. I know better. My peers, we know better. My new cabinet of advisors... We know better than the folk before us. What do the old fogies know? Quite a lot, as it turns out. The Queen Mother is evidence of this old regime trusting in God or, or have, a knowledge, have a knowledge of God. She calls Daniel by his Hebrew name and not his Babylonian name. She clearly respects Daniel and his God. But for Belshazzar at this stage, it's too late. He knew about the Most High God. His rebellion increased. His hunt for self-glory never ever satisfied. He knew the history of Grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. He would not learn for it. And history is set to, replace, uh, to repeat itself again. See, when Nebuchadnezzar rebelled against God, he got a warning from Daniel. And God punishes him. And in that punishment... Nebuchadnezzar turns back to God and then he says those beautiful words at the end of chapter 4 about how he glorifies the king of heaven. Belshazzar doesn't learn from that. Maybe just a, a point to think about two things here. Are the younger folk here listening to the older folk? Folk that have had experiences. All the younger folk here, and there's always somebody older than you, usually, excepting one, I suppose. Are you listening to those who are older than you? Are you hearing what they have to say? 
um, for the older folk? Are you sharing your life experiences with, with younger people? If we're not doing that, if we're not listening, if we're not telling, history is set to repeat itself. One of the excuses I hear from young people all the time is, I want to experience it myself. I want to learn for myself. I think that's just an excuse for rebelling, for doing things your own way. What a silly, naive thing to say. I want to experience that. You know, chatting to young people about drugs and alcohol and all those kind of things and living the life, they say, well, I want to experience that. What a poor excuse. The Bible makes it very clear in the New Testament. In Romans 15, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 and 12, they say that the Scriptures are written so that we could learn from them. Let's look at Romans 15, uh, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And we ignore those warnings at our own peril. And here is the warning. The writing is on the wall. It's an old expression, and this is where it comes from. For Belshazzar and Babylon, the writing is on the wall. Next one, Amy. They have rebelled against the Most High God, the God who writes history, who controls everything. And for them, the writing is on the wall. The end is near. It is a done deal. Punishment is coming their way. Nebuchadnezzar was in the same place, but he responded with humility and acknowledgement of guilt, and God spared him. Can't say the same for this new king of Babylon. He knew better. He wasn't going to learn from history. In fact, the drinking from the the temple goblets is just the cherry on the top, an act of visible defiance against against the God of his grandfather and the rest of that generation. It's a public display of his disobedience. Justin is always more naughty in church for some other reason. And the reason, I think, is because he knows there's people around him and he can get away with it a little bit more. So it's almost like the kid... At a party, the teenager brings out his pack of cigarettes. Mom and dad are sitting over there and all the guests are sitting over there and he's just going to disobediently smoke in the house and all that kind of stuff. But he takes it out so everybody can see, lights it up so everybody can see because he knows there's nothing they can do about them. It's a, it's a public um, spit in the face. It's no wonder for him that the writing is on the wall. I suspect that Belshazzar knew that the end was coming too. The party and the drinking from the goblets is all an act of final rebellion and perhaps hope that his gods would rescue him. Belshazzar chooses to defy God. Um, We often talk about God as the one who flung stars into space. Not twinkle, twinkle little star taking these little paper cutouts and throwing them into, into space. But God, the powerful God who takes fiery, blazing, fury suns and places them and controls them and puts them exactly where he wants to. Belshazzar is rebelling against him. In his stubborn rebellion, the writing is on the wall, God is going to punish him. The fat lady has sung. 
It's as if Belshazzar's own hand was writing the message on the wall. His rebellion leaves a just God with no choice but to take action. Belshazzar is the one writing those words on the wall. The scripture tells us that it's God, but Belshazzar's actions, it's as if he was writing those words on the wall himself, asking God for his judgment and his punishment. God is left with no choice. He must act as he said he would. The crime cannot go unpunished. So we have two kings that both rebel against God. One turns to God, the other fails to learn from history. For him the writing is on the wall the fat lady has sung. Are you living in rebellion against God? Maybe not blatantly, out in the open, publicly and defiantly like Belshazzar, but maybe just publicly and privately. Maybe like the man in in Mark 9 verse 4 where Jesus is talking to his disciples. The disciples come to him and say, Jesus, we stopped this guy casting out demons because we, we didn't know who he was. He wasn't part of our party. And Jesus stops them and says, well... Whoever is not against us is for us. Well, the reverse is also true. Whoever is not for Jesus is against him. Whoever is not for God is against God. I was telling the folk at Rare and Impact, there is no middle ground. It's those who love God and those who don't. There's no middle ground anywhere. If you don't love God, you are an enemy of God. For all of us, yeah, the fat lady hasn't sung yet. The writing isn't on the wall yet. Where we stand in our relationship with God is a matter of importance and urgency. So our last picture then. Participants in history. Something has got to be done. So we look at this passage and we can say, well, we can be like Nebuchadnezzar. Or we can be like Belshazzar in the way that we respond to the Most High God. Are we going to turn to him or are we going to continue to rebel and reject him? Those are the first two contrasts we have. But then we take a look at Daniel. Are we willing to stand up for the Most High God? Are we willing to be part of what he is doing? Do we fear God or do we fear men? Daniel standing in that room would have had all these people totally hostile and against him and against his God. And he tells the Babylonians how it is. He sets the truth out plainly and clearly. He says, Nebuchadnezzar followed God, but you, his son, have turned away. You've Pumped yourselves up with pride. You have ignored God. So if God is the history writer, if God is the one that is writing history, are we willing to be part of that? We need to step into that story as well. Are we boldly going to tell a world that is alienated against Jesus and against God that if they don't follow him, the writing is on the wall? We can't be spectators. We need to step up, stand up, take our place in this hostile world and tell them of God's judgment and his love. Um, 
not so recently now, but a couple of months ago, I think it was a Brit who was swimming in Cape Town in False Bay, and he was attacked um, by a shark. Um, excuse the fact that he's, he's a Brit, but I say sharks don't attack people, they attack stupid people going where they shouldn't be. And there were notices all over that beach saying, not, not a safe place to be swimming. But how unloving would it be for folk on that beach to not warn him that there were sharks in that beach? Or the fins coming. Not a good thing. It would be very unloving to just ignore him. In fact, the most loving thing you could do to him is to tell him, dude, there's a shark in the water. Get out. We need to have that same attitude about God and the judgment that is coming to the world that don't know that it's coming. The most loving thing we can do for them is to tell them that there is a God who loves them, but a God who is also angry with them. We need both parts of that story. We need both parts of that to fit together. Daniel 5 is about God not only um, judging a rebellious king, but an evil nation. We can't read it in isolation from chapter 4. God is also gracious and patient with Nebuchadnezzar. God's righteous anger against Nebuchadnezzar is turned away. But against Belshazzar, who refuses to repent and to turn from his ways, the writing is on the wall. That very night, Belshazzar was judged, brought to account. His reign was ended and his life was ended. And the kingdom of Babylon was handed over to the Medes and to the Persians. Are we willing to get onto God's timeline, into God's history, and to tell people? But the Belshazzars and the Nebuchadnezzars need to know what's coming. And we need to tell them. I want to read Romans 10. Verse 14, sorry, from verse 13. For me, this is one of the most compelling reasons, other than God's love, for us to share the gospel with people. Verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? You see, if we're not going to tell them, folk aren't going to know about God's judgment. I think bad news can be good news if it's a warning of a bad thing. Bad news can be a good news if it's a warning of a bad thing that's coming. Just like the shark. So we have these four pictures The first one, God is in control of absolutely everything. He writes history. And so when you saw that picture, you would have seen the pencil at the end. God is drawing history. Well done, Amy. Smart girl. Good for you. He is in control. That's how good she is. Let's not let history repeat itself. Nebuchadnezzar rebelled against God. Don't let it happen twice. And then, if we're going to rebel against God, the writing's on the wall. 
the fat lady has sung. And let's boldly participate in God's history, getting in there and telling people about this judgment that is coming and about the fact that God loves them and has done something about that. That Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much for your patience as well. Lord, won't you help us to be encouraged by the fact that you are in control. Help us to learn from history. Help us to get involved in your plans for this world by telling people of you, by telling them of the judgment, by telling them of your love and about your solution. Thank you so much, Lord, for your amazing grace. Amen.